Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus today. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers on the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is October 8th, according to my count, and today is the day where three hours from now, at least at the time of recording, I am going to be watching Major League Baseball all day long. Love this day. Friday, NLDS, ALDS, four games at once. Dodgers-Giants is going to get to kick off. Mm. And a scrumptious first day of action between the Astros-White Sox-Red Sox-Rays game. Great first day of baseball. We'll talk about that with Razor Rosenthal coming up. We got all four series on the docket. And we got a little watch party going on with the White Sox and Astros game. You The Astros kicked ass, but we still got action, and you know what? Action is what makes these podcasts fun, especially when we do a mini watch party during it. So we will have that and more coming up later with Razor from Beer Life Sports. Check that out with the links in the descriptions to today's episode. Razor does all kinds of fun picks and tennis information, and he has a podcast every week over there. It's great content. Love our man Razor in year two over here with us and I appreciate his flexibility in making these Fridays kind of a fun little Razor Friday podcast. We had it last week, super successful, thought we'd bring Razor back. So we'll get to that in a little bit. I do want to kick off by talking about the NFL because this Rams-Seahawks game wasn't as exciting as we thought it was and in the first half it was looking like we were headed towards a direct repeat of the John Walford beating Russell Wilson weird like crazy game that we had last year not that like the game was bad last year it was just like a total chaos game that felt like I couldn't follow anything that was happening and also it was when the NFL had gone to three wild card games in one day so it was like the middle game and it was crazy and Russell Wilson was throwing pick sixes and it was like nine to seven at one point it just a weird game altogether so that game had playoff last year vibes between the Rams and the Seahawks and This time around, 
the second half kind of changed the tune of that a little bit because the Seahawks were already playing without Chris Carson, which was super interesting. And this is one of those games that like you don't want to drop because everything feels so concrete in the NFC West. And like one of these losses could swing tides either way at this point. And one of the things I thought was super interesting is the Seattle Seahawks were basically with Alex Collins as their starting running back, they decided the best game plan was to go right at the Rams linebackers with a backup running back. And I thought it was a crazy idea because, you know, Aaron Donald is right in the middle. In the first half, it was still 0-0, and they decided on fourth and two to call a run play up the middle with Alex Collins, which... To be fair, the Seahawks don't have a ton of yards after catch guys. Like, Gerald Everett's basically a non-factor at this point. Lockett and Metcalf are great in schemes, but Jalen Ramsey was obviously shadowing Metcalf. Not that Metcalf had a bad game. Like, Jalen Ramsey's just someone who you don't want to throw at as much. And so, the Rams' secondary is depleted pretty much outside of that. By the way, Metcalf still went off. Like, he, he made the most of his targets in the game. It's just that he didn't get targeted very much because, you know, Jalen Ramsey. But he had five catches, 100 yards, two touchdowns. Like, I can't remember whether the internet says that DK is Jalen's dad or Jalen is DK's dad. I don't remember which one it is. But DK made Jalen look like his daddy tonight. I, I got to check out our boy NFL Memory to try and, like, catch myself up on the Jalen Ramsey DK Metcalf beef. But... Even still, this was talking about the Seahawks before I got sidetracked. They just they decided to just go run game against the the Rams, and it just didn't make any sense to me as I was watching it. And they still did really well. Like Russell Wilson was Russell Wilson was average up until his injury, and the interception wasn't really his fault. Like it was just really bad luck off a deflection. But even still, like the fact that Alex Collins got the ball 15 times and rushed for 47 yards. And by the way, one of them was a 13 yard run. So you take out the 13 yard run. Alex Collins was 13 carries for 34 yards. That's like two and a half yards per carry. It's just brutal for Alex Collins and the Seahawks then lose Russell Wilson, which becomes the story of the night. And the only joke I had for that is just, congratulations, we get our once-every-two-year reminder that Geno Smith is indeed still in the NFL. I think he's been the Seahawks' backup for a while now, ever since Trayvon Boykin got arrested. So we kind of know where uh, things stand in Seattle land right now. It's Geno Smith as their alternative. So if Russell Wilson does have to miss time with what basically looks like a broken finger, then tough break for Seattle because Russell Wilson on his breaking a finger on his throwing hand is something the Seahawks can't afford because I said coming into the season and it's the same thing I said last year because it's just everyone in the NFC West got better someone's gonna have to lose 10 games in that division and now with the 17th game that might be nine games because all the math has kind of changed around this but someone's got to lose like 10 games in that division this year And coming in, it felt like it could be the Seahawks. But even so far, the Seahawks are two and three, but it doesn't feel like they're two and three. They've had, I saw it on the broadcast, and there's a little graphic that if you're listening to this on Friday, you can check out comical sports memes, and I've got the graphic up on the story. But they have the 32nd ranked defense in rushing 
28th in passing and 32nd in the NFL overall. Now, we did the DVOA game yesterday, and they were actually, I think, like 8th worst in the NFL, so it wasn't quite as bad if you take into account the teams they were playing, like, you know, Derrick Henry being on one side of the field. I don't know how the DVOA equation works, but it just... It's a more reliable stat by my account because smart people tell me it's a more reliable stat. And I'm going to agree with smart people that DVOA is a calculation that takes circumstance into effect. It's why the Rams were the 27th ranked defense. And I refuse to believe under any circumstances that the Rams are the 27th ranked defense, no matter how small the sample size is. But I got sidetracked a little bit there again. With the bottom line to that is like Seattle's defense is so bad and Russell Wilson is still putting up pretty good numbers like he didn't put up great numbers tonight like he had a 93 QBR but coming into this game he had like 108 QBR on the season which is one of the highest in the NFL and the story of hey this quarterback is really good and they've got great weapons but their defense is absolutely atrocious where have we heard that before The Kansas City Chiefs, of course. The Kansas City Chiefs have an abominable defense, but a great offense. And I think the difference for Seattle and Kansas City is just Russell Wilson is not Patrick Mahomes. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback, but that Seattle offense is not the Kansas City offense. They do scheme tremendously around Russell Wilson, for better or for worse. Like Sometimes it leads to Alex Collins rushing 15 times for 36 yards, and I don't understand what the game plan is. The Seahawks do that more than almost any good team in the NFL. Like When the Lions do it, we're like, yeah, it's the Lions. Of course they're going to have terrible schemes. Or when Pat Shermer does it, we're like, yeah, it's Pat Shermer schemes. Or when Daryl Bevel does it, we're like, what'd you expect? You hired Daryl Bevel. But the Seahawks are like the one good team or like great team that consistently like has confusing game plans game after game and they've gone through three offensive coordinators in four years it's a sign that that scheme is kind of struggling but the point of that being I don't think the the Seahawks can recover the same way the Chiefs have even though they both have like league bottom five defenses or bottom eight defenses I don't think they can recover just because the offense isn't overwhelming enough Part of that is probably Russell Wilson getting in his own way and, you know, having the interceptions here and there, which is kind of like anti-Russell Wilson, but they've been way up in the past couple years, or at least really since like week six of last year. Since the Arizona game last year, Russell Wilson's turnovers have been up, and I don't really know what to do with it at this point. And the offensive coordinators can't get out of their own way. People were giving Waldron praises like leading up to this. So it's still, you know, a little bit of a victory for the Seahawks. But if the game plan was just to zone run scheme Alex Collins against the team that's mastered the zone run scheme, I don't think it's exactly the greatest idea, especially considering Alex Collins. Again, I cannot emphasize this enough. Alex Collins was your starting running back. After him, it was Travis Homer. So... Not much that you're really working with at that if you're the Seattle Seahawks. And some, like I said off the top, someone's got to lose 10 games in that division. It looks like it's going to be the 49ers because, again, they're plagued by injuries. And I think Seattle's better than the 2-3 and three record suggests. But still, it's got to give some kind of pause for concern that this might be the worst of the Seahawks teams that we've seen in the last four years. You know, good enough to make the playoffs, but one of these, like, they're going to get matched up against either Green Bay and get smacked or Tampa and get smacked. It's just kind of not the same Seahawks team as it was in the past.
And I think the defense has a lot to do with that. You'll hear me talk with Razor about the game plan of just blitzing a bunch. And they did more of that. Like, they did do a pretty good job of stopping the run. But Matthew Stafford still threw for 365 yards. So they did a pretty good job of containing Daryl Henderson for the most part. And Sony Michelle for, like, one drive where he had, like, eight carries and then had three the rest of the game. But... The Seahawks defense is like trying to scheme around bad players. And that's never a great situation when you have high expectations going into the season. So we'll talk more about that a little bit coming up. Again, disclaimer, we recorded this podcast before the game happened. So a lot of it is like more generic Rams Seahawks analysis. Um, We did not know that Geno Smith would be quarterbacking the second half of this game in our analysis. But even still... It was, it was fun to talk about the Seahawks and Rams, so I just left it in there for the most part. Razor's got some good gambling picks. He hit on a couple of his big old bets during this, and we got to live react to his White Sox-Astros parlay, so we'll see how that ends up going, or at least I know how it went. You guys, or gals, or non-binary people, will get to see how it ended up going. This is, uh, this is the fun time of the year where in just the middle of the day, you've got games going on at all times. I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this podcast. And maybe while you're talking, I just might break into chaos because someone hits a home run in the White Sox ass. Please do, because I'm not in front of the TV. Yes. So but that's just more of a heads up for people listening, too, is that uh, we're recording this right now. At the time of recording, it's... One nothing Astros. They're headed to the bottom of the third inning, so we'll get maybe something cool happening. Hopefully, better than yesterday because we tried doing this during a uh, the Cardinals Dodgers game, and all we got was one lousy Justin Turner homer in five innings of watching the game. So maybe we'll get something cool come on here. But what a great game! Uh, I loved it. I thought it was intense. Oh, I yeah. thought the pitching was amazing. The bullpen of the St. Louis Cardinals was a big surprise. They pitched really well. Uh, but they didn't pitch, you know, I mean, listen, you, you just can't give up that walk, right? Can't give up that walk to Bellinger. Can't give up that stolen base and put the pressure on your on your pitcher there. And Christopher Taylor, who's batting as well as you and I, Kyle, but he seems to be clutch in the playoffs. Um, what a two-run jack. But let's talk about, real quick, if you had St. Louis plus one and a half on the run line, minus 140, that's just that's hard to swallow. I mean, that should never have happened. Um, I feel bad. You just want a base knock, right? You just want a Chris Taylor single to right field, and Bellinger's in, and it's a 2-1 final. Gut-wrenching. It's the cruelty of Gut- this industry. It, it's tough. It's tough because you, you just, you're just you in a great position, a great spot. Cardinals go up 1-0. It was plus 380 to lead after one inning. What a great value. Um <laughs> And that's all they scored. So, great game yesterday. Uh, Red Sox-Yankees, not as good. You want it to be good, but it just it just wasn't. And uh, I, I don't have a ton of interest in this Houston-Chicago game, Kyle. Even though I have two bets, let me give you my two bets that are in pocket right now. I, uh, I paid up for these bets. I pay heavy juice, but I like heavy juice, and I like being on the hopefully smart side here. I have Chicago plus two and a half. 
at minus 220, and I have Houston plus one and a half at minus 240. So there's a lot of scenarios that can happen to middle this bet. We hope that Houston wins by two. We hope Houston wins by one, or we hope Chicago wins by one. Those three scenarios happen, and I win both my bets. The worst-case scenario is splitting the bets. So I uh, paid heavy juice for Chicago plus two and a half and Houston plus one and a half on the alternative run lines. Yes, and we will have the results in hand by the time people are hearing this so we can find out what happened. Like last week where you said you kept getting burned by the Orioles and then you yeah, did and get I did. burned by the Orioles. I did, yeah. <laughs> and that's it's funny how it all works out. Boston goes ahead and wins every game after that. Uh, they sweep the Nationals. It was actually a really good uh, week for me, Kyle, after that one result when I took – the Cincinnati Bengals and the Boston Red Sox. I still went ahead and just pounded Toronto against Baltimore those last three games. Did the same for Boston versus the Nats, so we, we cleaned up there. And uh, tonight, you know, is a really difficult game to handicap because Tampa just is not – they don't have a great staff, but I don't know how, how you can stop their hitting. I mean, their, their one through six hitters are just off the charts. But the Red Sox have pretty good hitting too in the middle of that lineup, two through six. So it's going to be interesting to see how Rodriguez does – down at the trop not a big lean on this game if i have to play it i'm going boston plus one and a half okay so you're feeling a, a good chance for boston here at least to keep it like pretty close. within a run like within a run be, yeah. yeah yeah it's not going to be like the first game last year where i turned on uh, like 20 minutes of blue jays and rays and ryu gave up like seven runs i'm like okay this series is over and I did not watch any more of that series for the rest of the way. So you think today, tonight's going to be closer for Tampa's first playoff game? Well, you know, the playoffs typically, you just mentioned that game, of course, which is exactly the opposite of what I'm about to say. These playoff games are typically one-run games. Typically one-run mm-hmm. games. And, I, you know, I, I like Tampa on the money line, and I like, and I like Boston at the plus one-and-a-half mark. So if you do both, you got a chance, a legitimate chance for – the, the Tampa Bay race to win this game by one and you hit both your bets, but you're also covering your bet. You're also, you know, if you don't have a ton of confidence in this Boston plus one and a half and you take the raise, you're not going to lose too much money. You're going to go one and one. It's impossible to go. zero and two, right? So uh, that's kind of what I like to do in these playoff games. So you bring it back to the white Sox and Astros. Cause you mentioned yep. that bet. Off. Were you not feeling good about the, just this game today or this series as a whole? Because was just from a baseball standpoint, I'm super excited for this series. I've been ready for it for like three months because they've, it's kind of been set in stone that these two are going to play each other. Um, so what, what are your vibes around this series? I think the vibes I have are pretty good for the overall series. I just wasn't really excited for Lynn and McCullers, and that's why I didn't place a bet on one team. I don't trust either one of these pitchers, so I had to pay up to go both ways and try to middle this. Uh, that's how I feel about the White Sox and the, and the Astros with, with their pitching staff today. So, yeah, um, excited about the White Sox-Astros um, as we matriculate here through the second week, third week of October. But I, I think I'm a little more excited about Boston. Like, I don't even like the Red Sox, but I just want to see the Red Sox move forward. I just think it's so exciting to turn on your TV uh, in mid to late October and – Fenway Park is on display. I just, I think it's, I think it's more exciting than turning on your TV and you're at the Trop. I mean, one of the worst baseball stadiums we have in Major League <laughs> Baseball, and I, I kind of just want to see the Red Sox out there. I would love to see Houston versus Boston, or how about Sox versus Sox? That would be exciting for those two big cities. So, yeah, I'm kind of pulling for Boston here, um, and 
yeah, just more excited for Red Sox race. Uh, I was going through the probables in that Red Sox Rays series, and I was scared because I didn't recognize any of the Rays starters. I was like, oh my gosh, is, is this just like a versed in baseball? And then I figured out like, oh, wait a minute, Snell, he's gone. Glass now, he's gone. Charlie Morton, he's gone. Yarborough, he's not playing in the playoffs. So they, they really do have all new starters going through the playoffs now, and it's McClanahan and Baz and guys that I'd never heard of that are apparently rookies, but really strong. Cause for all the talk about Tampa making the world series last year, they also had the number one farm system in baseball coming into this year. Great young staff in Tampa, great farm system, as you alluded to, but it's the hitting. I mean, when you have Zanino and the eighth hole, Kiermaier batting ninth, this is a nasty lineup. Cruz batting fourth. Randy or Rosa. We don't know. Also, Mike Zanino hit a home run in the All Star game, and he's their eight hitter. He's their eight hitter out of the out of the University of Florida. This this batting order is the most dangerous in Major League Baseball. I think it's more dangerous than the Dodgers. I mean, look at what happened last night with the Dodgers. What'd you get out of the Dodgers yesterday? I mean that that, uh, team... that somehow Cody Bellinger lineup sixty OPS, which is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, the, yeah, I say the Tampa Bay Rays lineup is vastly more dangerous than L.A. right now. Muncie's a huge loss, as you could tell. I mean, look at that lineup last night without Muncie. Uh, it just, just seemed a little discombobulated. Tampa Bay is healthy. I just I don't see a, a whole lot of problems in this Tampa lineup. And I think that's scary for the Red Sox. I think the, the Red Sox pitching will struggle in this in this series, but – I'll tell you, if, we, if, if the Red Sox can find a way to get J.D. Martinez back in the lineup healthy, if Schwarber can, can hit the ball, man, they got some serious bats. You know? So we'll see. I can't wait for tonight's matchup. More, I'm more excited for that than Seattle and L.A., and I'm sure we'll talk about that game soon. <laughs> yes, of course. The, the fun NFL weekend with your Buffalo Bills as well. We'll probably have to talk about that at some point too. Sure. But. Uh, I would say for the, the Boston-Tampa Bay one, my favorite stat from that series is that if you took the 18 starters for, in the lineup from Boston and Tampa Bay, every single one has an above-average OPS+. Plus. They're all triple figures in OPS+, plus, every single batter in that series. So you know it's going to be fun to watch. I don't know how that? good the pitching staffs are going to be, but still amazing. That's an that's an unbelievable stat you just surprised. Yeah, and I get you know you look at you know, Rodriguez just so hot and cold throughout the season. Tonight he's on display on a huge stage. I, I just have a little bit more faith in him than on the other side of the mound for Tampa Bay. Experienced pitcher there for for Boston, but I'm still so scared of those Tampa bats. So that's why I'm gonna kind of just go both ways. Red Sox plus the one and a half. Tampa money line, so I can't lose too much on this. Really can't lose hardly at all. Yeah, that's kind of an easy way to matriculate into the playoffs because betting playoff baseball is just unbelievably random. That's the thing I was trying to tell people with those wild card games. I'm like, one game sample sizes are ridiculously random. The Dodgers have the chance of doing it, but even still, like the Dodgers have a slightly less more random game than all of the other wild cards in the past in the hold went down to a walk-off home run, which seems to happen a lot in these wildcard games. I'm not sure why we have so many big walk-off moments in these wildcard games, but they are super fun and super random. They are, and, you know, what an exciting series we have in the Golden State of California coming up. And then the Dodgers 
Price tag is minus 160 to win it. I think they do, Kyle. I, I just don't trust the Giants pitching staff going toe-to-toe the starters or the bullpen versus the Dodgers. If, if But the thing is, Muncie is – I keep saying this. Muncie's going to be huge. Can they get Muncie back for perhaps game three and beyond? Uh, I, I like the Dodgers here. I, I'm going to pay the minus 160 for that price tag, and the Dodgers will win the series. I – betting against the Giants. I've been saying all year they're going to regress, they're going to regress, they're going to regress. They're basically the same team that won 74 games a couple of years ago. All the same stars. They're going to regress. They've got random starting pitchers. And, oh, oh, break into coverage. Alex Bregman, RBI single for the Astros. So 2 nothing. Alright, so, so it's 2 nothing. I need this game to end right here and I win both ways. I got the White Sox plus 2.5 and, and the Astros as a 1.5 point dog. So the Astros look pretty good at plus 1.5 here unless the White Sox go off. But uh, yeah, I just need some I need some White Sox uh, runs maybe. maybe I probably need 2 to cover this number to feel good. I, I think we could get a 4-2 final here. Well, you mentioned last week McCullers is like the one big It's early, but 9 batters have come to the plate straight to the dugout so no hits yeah McCullers no hits through three huh yeah nice nice little start to that also thinking with um with the Dodgers and Giants series like I've just given up on betting against the Giants at this point and I'm just gonna let it roll all the way through and pick them even if I think the Dodgers are the deeper team with all those starters and you know, they've got their one, two. I mean, Kershaw is gone now, obviously, but they've got their one, two, three going through the series in Bueller, then Urias, and then Scherzer in game three. So they can be feeling good about that. Yeah, I wasn't too impressed with Scherzer last night. I mean, he found himself in trouble a lot. He found himself in a three, two count way too often. But at the end of the day, he only gave up one run. Uh, and don't you want to have Max Scherzer in game three and perhaps? game seven if needed i mean that that's the right guy for the dodgers and then atlanta milwaukee kyle i mean that's that's probably the 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 series that's going to go under the radar but it's a great pitching duel there oh big moment here oh jordan alvarez deep left center oh off the wall off Off the the wall wall. so bregman's in it's three nothing huh that is correct. Bregman is going to score, and no play, 3 nothing Houston Astros. Well, that's trouble now for plus two and a half. Uh, you know, again, you just, you just need one at bat. Abreu comes on, hits a double, someone follows up and hits another single, and we're, we're back where we want to be. But what I have now is a safe bet. Houston plus one and a half. They're, gonna, they're not going to lose this game by two, I think, at this point. So let's try to get both. we got a few hours to figure that one out. <laughs> Feeling good because the Astros were my unofficial World Series pick, even though I don't pick winners of World Series or pick playoff baseball at all. So I'm feeling good about the start to that. Um, to the point on the Braves and Brewers, what's a little nugget you got for us there? Because it's a, it's a series we kind of talked about last week because we kind of knew that series was going to play each other. But what's the little nugget you got going into that series from a gambling side? Well, I think it's this, the, the, the difference should be the staff. I think that Milwaukee staff is maybe one or two in the whole MLB as far as probably the best staff or second best staff behind the Dodgers. Uh, Hitting-wise, I think the Braves top to bottom are a little stronger than Milwaukee as far as my confidence level goes when it comes to one to eight. But I think the Brewers win. I think the Brewers have a chance to get to the World Series. This is it for the Brewers. Like, I feel like we've talked about Milwaukee being in a position 
to finally, you know, take the next step and find themselves in the World Series. I think the Brewers' price tag maybe minus one forty, minus one fifty, depends on where you shop. I like that as well. I kind of like that more than the Dodgers' value. Like you said, San Francisco has broken a lot of betters' hearts this year because you don't believe in them and they figure out a way to beat good teams. I like Milwaukee. I like LA. That's your NLCS. And then you had, I think you had a couple combos there, but I think you're rooting for Boston and the White Sox on the other end. But yeah, you know, I am. But I, yeah, I am. And 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 honestly, like I, I think, I think I'm going to take Tampa this afternoon on a series bet. Tampa is displaying it at minus one seventy. They're just like I said, the hitting is just too strong. The nice thing about betting the series, Kyle, is you can kind of try to get out of your bet. They're minus one seventy now. They go down a game or two. You can go the other way, salvage your bet, but pre just try and break even. Find try a to way break to break even. even. Yeah. So I mean, right now my lean is Tampa, and I guess Houston. Once they take a one-game lead, your your value is going to be extremely lost there because I think Houston was displaying a pretty high money line value to win the series and if they win today which it looks like they probably will it's going to go up to probably minus 230 minus 240 it's a heavy price tag to pay if and you never know chicago goes up 3-1 you're gonna lose a lot of money so flipping it back the other way to uh the national league side the dodgers and giants series is not going to start for you know i guess today technically when people are listening to this but if by say tuesday when the nfl weekend has subsided and we've played three games in that series the most likely outcome is blank in terms of blank games to blank between which team i say dodgers 2-1 okay i I wasn't sure because you said you were leaning dodgers i wasn't sure how deep you were feeling the dodgers like if they could win the series outright, just win two in San Francisco in a weird baseball way. But you like them. I mean, maybe they, maybe they win both in San Francisco and lose in Los Angeles. That's, that's baseball, right? Baseball is weird stuff like that happened, but I feel, yeah. I, I just, I, I have a feeling San Francisco splits at Oracle and then you go to Chavez ravine and Scherzer's on the mound and they probably take care of business there. So I would say two, one with somewhat of decent confidence in that. Like you said, with maybe Max Muncy coming back, which would yes. be kind of ridiculous because everyone thought he tore his elbow up on the last game of the season. Dislocated, yep. What a bizarre injury against the Brewers. Yeah. It's a, the Dodgers are also just the victims of that bad luck. We talk about it more in the NBA than anything else, like the weird luck with injuries, but the Dodgers got brutal luck at the end of the season, especially like they look more vulnerable this year than they've been in past years, <laughs> which is funny given they won 106 games, but even still, like, they're terrible bad luck with Muncie and Scherzer. I'm sorry, Muncie and Kershaw right at the end of the season. Hurts them going into the playoffs when, you know, little things like that do end up making the slightest of differences. Yeah, you know, the Clayton Kershaw thing to me is, you know, how how many times has Clayton Kershaw disappointed the Dodgers in the playoffs at this point? You know, I just, I just don't feel like – of course you want Kershaw in there available. It doesn't hurt. But – I think if you're a Dodgers better or fan, I think you're just kind of sick of Kershaw on the big stage. It just doesn't work out very often. Yeah, I think that's fair. But he's also had cool moments like beating the Nationals that one year where he came in and pitched five shutout innings of relief. But yeah, we we can go down the line of all the times Clayton Kershaw is disappointed in the playoffs. It's a long and illustrious list at this it point. Is, it, it is a long list. It is a long list. All right, so what about tonight? What do we have tonight on the on the docket with Seattle and L.A.? 
what do we have on the docket tonight? <laughs> game. Because it's it's finally fun Thursday night football, which to be fair, last week's game was fun in terms of the entertainment value, but I mean it was Jaguars and Bengals. We had to kind of make our make up our own storylines around that game. You don't gotta fake it in this one because it is huge implications for both teams at this point, trying to separate in that wacky NFC West. Yeah, what a game. Really tough game to handicap because what you're seeing is uh, a team in Seattle who was dominated on the stat board by the San Francisco 49ers. Their defense is terrible. Possible overreaction for the L.A. Rams being not as good as we thought they were. But what we're seeing here, Kyle, is that the betting public has overwhelmingly gone to the window and trying to cash tickets with the L.A. Rams. Heavy, heavy money on the Rams at minus two and a half. This line opened with Seattle at minus one and a half. That's a three-point line movement over the last few days for the home underdog. These short home underdogs on Thursday night football, and they probably cash at about a 60 65% rate. I'm not taking the Rams' money line tonight. I'm not taking the game tonight, but if I had to, I think I would pay up to like plus three and a half and take the Seahawks. This is just an ugly game where you would think Vegas is going to rack it in and watch all of the Rams betters fall apart when Seattle loses by one, loses by two, or perhaps wins the game straight up. Recommendation, no play. Enjoy it. Play some daily fantasy with it. But this is a tough one. So I've been careful around this game because every time I think of it, it keeps bringing me back to 2019 when my favorite game of the entire season, like it, like the one of the two or three games I still remember from that year of like, wow, this is like football nirvana basically was Russell Wilson down seven against the Rams leading that comeback at the end on Thursday night football. And so the whole way I'm like, Am I tricking myself into thinking that this is the same Rams team that got dominated by Russell Wilson or this is the same Russell Wilson that's going to be down 14 and still in the game and whatever else it might be? Like, I, I, I feel like that memory of that magical game is, like, affecting my analysis going into this. So I, I think I've just defaulted to the Rams because the Rams are creeping towards that Chiefs territory where I kind of default pick them every week because how could you possibly pick against the Chiefs and how could you possibly pick against the Rams? But I, I'm with you. I, don't, I just want to watch and see what happens because I think it's going to be a magical game. Or maybe it won't be. People will know by the time they're listening to this. So maybe it wasn't as magical as I thought it would be. Yeah, it may not be Disney World here. It may not be the happiest place on earth kind of game. It could be a blowout. I mean, it could be L.A. LA by 14. But here's one thing. Both secondaries are terrible. You know, you would think with Jalen Ramsey that the, the L.A. Rams are a, an elite secondary. They give up a lot of yards. They give up points. They don't stop anybody in the red zone like Kansas City. So Seattle's going to have chances to score. But can they stop Bobby Trees, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, the running attack, Matt's, I mean, tight ends. You got a couple of tight ends there that 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 can catch the ball. But I, this is a, this is a this is a game where if you're a gambler and you have to bet it, you just I think you go against the betting public and you just say, you know what, I don't know who's going to win this game, but I'm going to stay with Vegas and I'm taking the Seahawks and I'm going to flip the channel to watch the Red Sox and the uh, in the race. That's what the I'm Rays game. Yeah. That's a totally fair point. I think I'm gonna. I think football's gonna get the first screen, but if it starts to fall apart a little bit, the second screen is gonna gonna flip and put Boston on real quick. So, I think I'm probably with you there. 
I, I know you're a, uh, you're mostly a money line parlayer, but I wonder what kind of value you could get. Cause this is like a long shot bet. I kind of feel good about If you could get Cooper cup, Robert Woods and Tyler Higby all to have a touchdown in this game. Cause I think that would be a long shot. I would take coming into this is what value I bet you could get on all three of them scoring touchdowns in this game. Well, a lot of books don't allow you to parlay props. So that's one problem you'll have, Kyle, you'll have to really dig into some really larger books probably you go to a vegas sports book absolutely you could definitely do that but that's a i mean the value on that's going to be incredible i mean you'll probably pay a hundred dollars to win who knows 1500 2000 plus 1500 kind of bet i'm not a big prop guy so uh, i don't really look into those leans but they're gonna they should be scoring there should be scoring and you just name three guys that obviously are capable to do that yeah, and I think that um, the Seahawks going into this game, again, this is analysis that will be irrelevant by the time people are listening, but I think given Carlos Dunlap is going to be out, given that their secondary is so poor and Sidney Jones has been – I think Sidney Jones had one of the worst blown coverages I've ever seen last week on that Trey Lance-Debo Samuel touchdown. But given the struggles there, I think they should just adopt the Bucks model and just blitz Jamal Adams on every single play and just hope he gets like three sacks or forces Stafford to have to throw it in like under two and a half seconds because that's the only way I can see them getting stops against the Rams passing attack because they're yards after catching monsters all over the place. You're going to have to. You're going to have to blitz. You're going to have to uh, create some disguises because Matt Stafford's the type of quarterback if he's under de- – duress he's gonna he's gonna kind of like a Derek Carr where he just falls apart in the pocket and puts himself in the fetal position and you can attack that but if you give this guy time forget it Seattle's in major trouble I think you will see a lot of blitzing by the Seahawks well I I think that that's the best strategy because that's the thing like Jamal Adams gets kind of messed up on the internet a little bit and I, I keep looking at it. I'm like, why do we destroy him when he's one of the best linebackers in the NFL? Like, I know that he's officially a safety, but this feels like an evolution of the sport where he's one of the best pass rushing linebackers in the league that also drops back into coverage. Like, people want to say that he's playing the wrong position. And I say he's just evolved the position to where it's a positionless football player at a certain point, kind of like what Honey Badger has with the Chiefs. Right. Yeah, you're right. Good point about that. It's a good comparison. Yeah, so let's swing over to your Buffalo Bills because they are the kings of the week and the matchup that, you know, is <laughs> should have the same type of hype as the, the game last week between the Bucks and Patriots, considering these might be the two best teams in the NFL. Like, we're not 100% sure, but coming into the year, if you were guessing who the two best teams would be, these two would be right at the top of most people's lists, so... Your, your Bills traveling to Kansas City, and Vegas basically views them equally because I see three-point spread, and usually you get three points for playing at home. So Vegas views both of these teams in equal favor at this point. Well, the Buffalo Bills opening up as a four-and-a-half-point underdog, and now they sit as a field goal in some shops, a two-and-a-half-point dog. Listen, for the first time in a long time, the betting public is running to the window to bet against Kansas City. That scares me as a Buffalo Bills either fan or better because I can tell you right now, when everybody is on the other team against Kansas City, you pretty much think Kansas City is going to win this game outright, and they'll probably win by a margin of five-plus. I think the Buffalo Bills defense is better than Kansas City, but not by a huge margin. 
you saw Buffalo play a minor league team last year. Houston's the worst team in football. Let's just let's just let's just make this very clear. Houston is worse than Jacksonville, even though they beat Jacksonville. Now that Davis Mills is you know running the show there under center. Have you seen the splits between Houston with Tyrod Taylor and yes. without Tyrod Taylor? It's remarkable, unbelievable. They it is, they remarkable. are plus ten offensively with Tyrod Taylor and negative 84 without him. They had six quarters of Tyrod Taylor, 10 quarters of Davis Mills. They're negative 84 in 10 quarters. Well, we need to throw out that game. Uh, the Bills <laughs> The Bills defense is okay. Uh, Kansas City's defense is very bad. The Buffalo offense is good. The Kansas City offense is great. Arrowhead – Bills got destroyed in the AFC Championship game. It's really just a matchup situation, you know. Like you know, who the the, the thing. The, here, here's let me just get to the point here. I think Kansas City's going to win this game, and they're going to win this game by more than four or five points. The main reason is when Kansas City plays a team that can run the ball, they're going to struggle because the running game will open up the passing game. The Bills can't run the ball. Josh Allen can run the ball, but Singletary and Moss to me are not big enough threats to the Kansas City defense, which actually is not a bad front four. The Bills and the Chiefs, it's really based, in my opinion, on matchup here. And the matchup doesn't give the Bills the opportunity to dominate like teams like the L.A. Chargers, who have a running game with Eckler, and and they can move the ball. They can trick them. They have tight ends. The Bills don't have a great tight end. They don't have a great running game. And I think with the combination of the betting public running to the window, thinking the Bills – are going to figure this out. I disagree. I think Kansas City is probably one of the top three plays on the board this week on the money line. The value is incredible at minus 150. Kansas City wins this game, Kyle, and I'm sorry to the Bills Mafia here, but I'm running to the window with Pat Mahomes. I mean, how could you not? He's Pat Mahomes at a certain point. It's it's hard to bet against him, which I'm, I'm leaning money line here, but I think you've convinced me otherwise. I think you've given me the, the sound analysis I was looking for. I think the thing that gives me hope for Buffalo, though, is that Kansas City's defense is so bad, and the Bills are presumably very good on offense. Like, this is... Technic, I mean, I know the Texans are awful, but I think this might be the worst defense they've played all season in Kansas City. And they've put up ridiculous amounts of points in other side, given that they've dominated time of possession in most of those games. And the Chiefs can hold the ball for five minutes with their eyes closed at a certain point and still score a touchdown. But I still do get, I have hope for Buffalo keeping it close and maybe winning just because they're going to they're going to have the opportunity to score a lot of points. I would be shocked if it's a repeat of the AFC championship where Buffalo's first eight drives all ended in a punt, except for the one muffed punt by Kansas city that led to their only touchdown of the game. Listen, should have, would have, could have, but Kansas city should be four and oh, they should have beat Baltimore. They Mm -hmm. should have beat the chargers. Just so many ridiculous turnovers. The bills have beaten the Houston Texans, the Miami Dolphins, and the football team. I think what we fail to realize is strength of schedule in this four-game sample size. It's not even close. The Kansas City Chiefs have played the Cleveland Browns, the Chargers, and the Ravens. Baltimore, yeah. And then then the Eagles will throw out. We'll throw out the Eagles because they're atrocious. But But what's funny is that they scored 42 points and people looked up, they're like, eh. Probably left some points on the table. You know, they put up 42 points. We're like, yeah, it's 
kind of an average game for the Chiefs, you know. They left some points on the table there. <laughs> B- Buffalo scores, Kyle. They're going to score in this game. No one's debating that. I think Buffalo will, will, will have some drives where they, they will easily get Diggs involved. Emmanuel Sanders involved. Everyone's going to get involved at some point against this horrific Even Dawson Knox, which you alluded to earlier. Dawson Knox is a very average tight end where you have other teams that Kansas City have battled against with much better tight ends and much better running games, and that is where Buffalo struggles. I I just don't see it. I I thought the look-ahead line was going to be six and a half, and I was really off on this. When it came to four and a half, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll get the money line at minus 190 opening line. Just kept seeing it drop. And I think right now it sits at 150, 155. You just, I'm almost ready to pull the plug I'm, or, you know, go for it. Let's, let's take it. Let's go against your team. Listen, if you're gambling and you're betting with your heart, you're in the wrong industry. <laughs> yeah, you have no problem betting against your Buffalo Bills. You are... You are ready to take Patrick Mahomes and, and money line, take the points, whatever it is. You're feeling the Chiefs in this one. So feeling the Chiefs I, all 100. percent I think I agree with you too about the small sample size thing. Like I was never a person who you know came in and said, "Okay, Kansas City is this one and two team." I'm like, we learn nothing from that game against Baltimore. We know they're basically the same team at this point. Kansas City's probably slightly better than them. Like we learned virtually nothing from that Chiefs. Ravens game maybe we learned more about Lamar Jackson but we learned almost nothing about either of those two teams and then then the Chargers game is just like it's that one game every year where they have like three or four turnovers like it happened last year against the Dolphins and they still found a way to win but it's gonna happen like Mahomes is human he's gonna make a lot of mistakes at times it's usually they just kind of build up one game a year or something weird like that so I agree with you. I think the, the Chiefs are – I said the Chiefs and Bills are probably the two best teams in the NFL, and the Chiefs are 2-2, two and two and Buffalo's 3-1. and one, So what's the deal with that? No, I think we kind of look at it. And it's like, yeah, both those teams are totally overwhelming at this point. Yeah, here are my two plays for Sunday. It's pretty simple. I'm going to go with New England, pair them up with Minnesota on a money line parlay. Not quite even money, but enough to where I feel good about laying the minus 140 juice. Other play will be Kansas City money line. And if you want to extend this a little further, let's go Tampa Baltimore. You don't have to wait for that Baltimore ticket to cash Monday night football. But those two teams on the money line are great survivor plays. Indianapolis scares me a little bit more so than Detroit. But I think Baltimore has now figured out how to use Lamar Jackson, as we saw when he traveled to Denver. Baltimore with Tampa, New England with Minnesota. Kansas City alone. Those are my three plays this uh, this weekend in the NFL. I'm, I feel you with the Texans thing because as long as Davis Mills is there, I, I said after I was afraid to say it again, but I, I didn't like the Texans might not win a game the rest of the season after that first one against Jacksonville because if you're going to pick one, they would have won. You probably would have picked the one against Jacksonville. So the Texans, I, I get that one. I get the Lions. They're built to lose at this point and. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what to do with the Colts at this point because Carson Wentz has a league average QBR at this point, and it's because he has two really good games and two really bad games, and of course he's perpetually playing through injuries. The rest of the Colts, I feel like I kind of know who they are at this point because it's most of the same pieces that have been there the last few years, minus obviously Quentin Nelson in the middle because of injuries, but. Everything else feels like I kind of know what the Colts are at this point, other than that quarterback situation. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's just 
This is a team that is capable is the best way to describe the Colts. They're capable of putting together a great defensive performance as we saw down in Miami. Carson Wentz is capable to check down in key moments like he did in Miami. But at the end of the day, just not enough firepower to match Lamar Jackson. And I'm not even endorsing Baltimore covering the seven points. I just think Baltimore is going to win this football game and they're going to win it somehow because of Lamar Jackson. Uh, should we not allow any AFC South teams to make the playoffs this year? Well, I think I give Tennessee a pass uh, for what transpired last Sunday with all of their injuries. So Tennessee is not a great football team. Their defense is way below average. Uh, Derek Henry is still very dangerous when we get to December and January. I, I don't want to play Tennessee if, uh, if everybody's healthy, to be honest with you. If they're the, you know, if they're the four seed, you got to go to Nashville and play them. Um, but, yeah, that, that's the only viable team we're looking at. And I will give Tennessee a pass for last Sunday. Horrible, horrible offensive performance. The defense actually played okay at times. But when you're missing wide receiver one, wide receiver two, that changes a lot. Let's slide over to college football real quick because it's not a super exciting weekend. Like, I think the last few weeks have been so crazy that you look up this weekend, you're like, yeah, I mean, I can see a couple things that are interesting, but – uh, first question, is Iowa and Penn State the worst top five matchup in the history of college football? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think if, if you appreciate defense, um, you appreciate the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, Penn State's defense is, is fine. It's good. Uh, offensively, there's deficiencies on both football teams. But you got to be happy for the Big Ten if you're a Big Ten fan that they actually have something to cheer for except Ohio State versus Michigan Thanksgiving weekend. Probably the biggest game of uh, in Big Ten history that doesn't include the Ohio State Buckeyes in the regular season. So, uh, worst game ever? Uh, no, probably not. But you know, again, it's not a sexy game when you add the Iowa Hawkeyes in the mix. So, um, I would say that's probably the most intriguing game okay. for me this year. So, because I'm thinking the answer is either that or that one college football playoff game that had Michigan State in it. I that think was those bad. Are the two options. <laughs> Michigan State versus Alabama in the Cotton Bowl playoff game was horrific. Yes, that yeah. was that was a disaster for the Big Ten. Because we don't get the top five matchups very much. It's just it's interesting when they do happen. And this one's like I think we kind of agree that it's because of. You know, Oregon, Ohio State, Oklahoma is not allowed to beat teams by more than 14 points. It's just a rule of being Oklahoma. Like, I think I think it's just a weird coincidence that these two teams happen to be four and three this part of the season. But you alluded to it earlier. There's what, 10? What is it? Top 10, there's going to be four top Big Ten teams and maybe nine or 10 in the top 50 this year. So it's a pretty good year to be the big 10 in terms of like putting teams forward. When we, we all agreed at the start of the year, Ohio state was kind of that team. And then it was just everyone else kind of filing in after, but Michigan has been a surprise. Penn state's been a surprise. Iowa has been a surprise. Wisconsin's been an utter disappointment, but still it's, it's been a good year for the big 10. I would say that one of the biggest surprises in the big 10 right now is Nebraska, who Kyle is 5-1 and one against the spread. After losing to Illinois, they have captured every single point spread since, even though they lost to Oklahoma and Michigan State. They covered the number very easily against those two teams, beating Northwestern by 49 points, and now a very short underdog against Michigan at home. You know, that game is very intriguing to me because, you know, Michigan is only a field goal favored, probably – 
after the Illinois loss, if you had to create a look-ahead line, Michigan should be about 13 to 14, and now it's, it's only three and a half. And if you think Michigan is for real, that's some pretty unbelievable value right there. Um, betting public is split down the middle. It's a no play for me for some reason. Uh, Frost has these guys playing pretty good football the last four weeks. That is going to be the game if Nebraska can win that will have Frost there for several years to come. This is the key moment for Scott Frost and Lincoln, Nebraska. Beat the number nine Michigan Wolverines. Prove to the country that Nebraska is somewhat back. And that is intriguing to me as we get to ABC 730 Eastern. Really pumped to see that that, that stadium rocking in Lincoln. Dang, you're getting me excited about Big Ten football now because you've, if Penn State goes to Ohio State in a couple weeks, that's a you know on the schedule now. You've got the I, I've kind of joked about this for years, but the Black Friday classic of the corn, the the corn rivalry between Iowa and, and Nebraska, that could be for the Big Ten title potentially. Like, it's weird that I'm now excited about Big Ten football, which I think is because now that the ACC is totally irrelevant, I'm starved for good football outside of the SEC. Well, what's exciting about the SEC? I mean, you're. I mean, I mean Alabama, yeah, Alabama, fair. Georgia, and nobody else. Uh, the Gators are an interesting team, but of course they, you know, they, they, they blew it in Lexington. I, I just, I think the SEC just has fun teams. Like Arkansas is a fun team. I know they're not actually that good and they're fighting for the Outback Bowl, but they're fun. Ole Miss is fun. Lane Kiffin's a little bit of an anarchist and a meme in college football. Like they're, they're kind of fun. Mike Leach is going to do fun stuff. Uh, Bo Nix is going to be all over the place and have to be the most inconsistent quarterback in college football. Kentucky at least has something to cheer for now because there's technically a path for Kentucky to win the, the SEC now. So I think it's just fun teams, even if they're not Alabama and Georgia. Like, that's going to be the game of the year when they play in the SEC championship. But still, it, I think they're just fun in the SEC at this point. You're right. A lot of gimmick offenses. Uh, Lane, like you said, Lane Kiffin. These guys figure out ways to make it fun, except when they play Alabama. Then it becomes a total bloodbath. Yeah, that was sad. But at least it was at the same time as the uh, Cincinnati-Notre Dame game, so I could just flip the channel on that one. Even if that game wasn't that great either, it was at least competitive towards the end of the game where you weren't quite sure who was going to win, but at least it was semi-competitive. No, I agree. I absolutely agree. That was a, that was a, that's a Cincinnati team that, you know, finally – put together on national TV that they can hang with the big boys. They did it against Georgia, but they did not find a way to win. Georgia kicks that 50-yard field goal to end the game in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. But Cincinnati, they showed up to South Bend, really never in doubt, really impressed with the Bearcats. And now the path is clear. They'll need a little bit of help, but Cincinnati is possibly the number four seed if Big Ten teams start beating up on each other. The path is there. I hope they have a chance. I really do. Does Red River excite you this year? Because Oklahoma's technically, I'm sorry, Texas is technically ranked at this point, but it is year one of the Sark era. So they're kind of playing with house money. Like it's a no stress game for Texas. If they keep it close or win, more power to you. But if you lose, doesn't matter because it's first year with, you know, Tom Herman's players. So th does Red River get you excited this year? Red River always gets me excited Kyle I, I I love that game in the Cotton Bowl I really do um, I, I think that's a a really fun game with a lot of history 
And Oklahoma, a double-digit favorite, surprised me here. I thought they'd open up at about 7.5 or 8. I like Texas here plus the points, but the Oklahoma Sooners will definitely be part of a money line parlay. I don't know who I'm pairing them up with yet. I'm thinking Ole Miss, that noon game between Ole Miss and Arkansas. I kind of like Oklahoma and Ole Miss to get you close to even money. But I like Texas plus the points. I think Texas is capable of matching points with a very – very average Oklahoma offense this year. Surprisingly for Oklahoma, it's their defense that has vastly improved. For the first time since you were probably a toddler, Oklahoma has had a terrible defense. And teams are not scoring that easily on them. K-State had a couple easy drives, but if you look at the other games, West Virginia Nebraska really struggled to score the football. I think this is close. I think Texas plus the points is a good sharp play. But I think Oklahoma wins, and I have to figure out a team to pair them up with. Right now, a small lean with Ole Miss. Well, if you're looking for a money line parlay, let's just see who Vandy's playing this week. We can figure out someone you can bet in that game. Well, let's they play see. the Gators, and you can't get any money line there. So that the Gators ah. are about a 38-point 30, uh, favorite against uh, Vanderbilt down in the swamp. No value there. I, I, I think the value comes with Ole Miss. I think Kiffin – will figure this out against a very average Arkansas defense. They'll match points. It's going to be a, a, a you know, it's going to be tough to contain Arkansas, but I think Ole Miss has the better offense and the better quarterback and it comes down to you just got to win the ball game. I have a little more faith down in Oxford, Mississippi than I do if the game was in in Fayetteville. So let's go let's go Ole Miss Oklahoma on a money line parlay for noon on Saturday. I'm kind of leaning towards that. Let's see who Arizona's playing then. Let's see if that could give you some help. Let's just go through all the terrible teams. They got UCLA, you know, Pac-12 after dark, maybe UCLA against Arizona. Too many points, too many points. 16 oh. points, so you're looking at probably minus 1,700 on the money line. Just the value's not there. So, Kyle, you really can't look at these horrible teams because you're not going to be able to bet against them on the money line. Of course, you can always bet against the spread, minus 16. You're paying minus 110 juice. Hope the Bruins win by 17, but uh, just not a not a team that uh, that I, I'm going to invest into uh, the UCLA Bruins winning by 16 against anybody. And I see the alert and the Houston Astros lead five nothing. So my two yes, and a half. I my, just saw yeah. it right now. Yeah, it my, is a Michael Brantley two run single. They're leaving Lance Lynn in the game. Oh, now they're going to pull him, I think. But yeah. they were leaving Lance Lynn in all the way through. He got rocked. Yeah, he did get rocks. Six hits. Jeez. I mean, so my bet's done. I'm going to split these bets. Houston's going to win, obviously, as a one-and-a-half-point run underdog. But the Chicago White Sox plus two-and-a-half, we throw that away. We split, lose a little money, and we move on to Boston and Tampa. So that's the nice thing about betting this two ways. You can't lose a lot. But if you went straight up Chicago plus two-and-a-half, Chicago plus one-and-a-half, or Chicago money line, it's over. You just lost all your, your whole bet. So I went both ways. Don't have any regrets. Maybe the Sox can put up three by miracle, but I don't see it happening. Well, let's hold out hope until we get to Boston and Tampa later tonight. Or if people are listening to this, Boston and Tampa in the afternoon, because I think they might be the 10 o'clock game tomorrow. I'm not 100% sure, but this is the fun day where I get to watch baseball in class. So let's see. Uh, I think they play early, early tomorrow. I'll give you you, – yeah, the lineup will be Eastern Standard Time, 2 o'clock Houston, 4.35 Milwaukee, 7 p.m. Tampa Bay, and 9.30 Eastern – L.A. at San Francisco. Okay, so White Sox and Houston get to play the 9 o'clock game. Awesome. I will, I will take note of that when they get ready tomorrow, and maybe Houston will close out that series. Who knows? So 
Uh, Razor, appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend and your day and all the other great stuff. And appreciate you giving us the lowdown in the craziest month of the sports calendar. Always a pleasure to be on. This is an incredible time of the year, mid-October. Go Chiefs! As I sign off, part of the Bills Mafia. Have a great day, Kyle. Goodness, I, I don't understand any of this, but you, your allegiances are not – you are in an industry where allegiances don't matter. That is correct. Have a great day, guys. Good luck.